Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Oteil Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Hey, 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 hey. Hello. Welcome back to day three at the Dick's Lot. How's everybody doing out there? I think we can do better than that after a rain delay. It's not Sunday. Late night show. How's everybody doing out there? All right. I hope you're pacing yourselves. Hydrate. My name is Brian Brinkman. I'm here with my good friend Jonathan Hart. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing great, Brian. I'm actually thrilled to have survived two nights at Dick's, and, uh, and there's still two more, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Do you feel like you can do two more? I could definitely do two more. I think I can do two more. I think I can do three more. I say every year on the third night, I can do one more of these, and this is the big test. Yeah, this is it. Let's see if you're uh, telling the truth all these years. Absolutely. <laughs> so we are, we are here from the Help and Friendly podcast, Undermine, Osiris Media, uh, Larger. We are here to bring you an excellent show today prior to Fish's third night at Dick's. 
We're going to be introducing members of the Mockingbird Foundation here shortly who are going to be doing a fish and philosophy roundtable. It should be really exciting here. Before we do that, we do want to tell you a little bit about our sponsors who have brought us to Dick's in 2022. We're here presented by the Cannabis Depot. Very, very excited to be presented by them. They're Colorado's favorite dispensary, offering flour from the top growers in the state. Customers love their mid-shelf full bud ounces. You know how much they are? Say that again. Mid-shelf full bud ounces. You know how much they are? Oh, those are like, uh, they're $49, Brian. $49. Yeah. Out the door. $49. Out the door. That's right, right? Isn't that right, Woody? Yes, sir. He says it's right. He's the guy to know. We got a giveaway going on here. Come over, check out Cannabis Depot. Come on, come on over and check out all of our sponsors here. We've got Evo Lab, we've got Caviar, we we are uh, we've got Harmony Extracts. We got so many people we here. Hang, we here. got Yeti Farms. I can't man. forget the Yetables. We got the Yetables hanging out right next to us. Come on over, check us out. Enter to win prizes. We also are brought to us by our friends at Sunset Lake CBD. We got a bunch of giveaways from Sunset Lake. CBD gummies, uh, sleeping melatonin gummies. We got tinctures. We've got pre-rolls. Amazing, amazing stuff from Sunset Lake. You can check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com. Use the coupon code FISHDICKS. What's that coupon called? Fish Dicks. Fish Dicks for 50% off. 50, five zero for all products. And then finally, we are brought to you by our friends at Section 119. They have a tent set up here. I think they're on the next row, actually, today. They're right over there. Yeah, they got, a, they got that prime real estate. You can check out Sunset Lake for excellent clothes to show off your love for fish, the Grateful Dead, this whole world that we exist in. Using code SUMMER22, 20% discount on your next purchase. You're absolutely gonna love that gear. Once again, it's 20% off with code SUMMER22. So as I mentioned, we are gonna be bringing on the Mockingbird Foundation here shortly. Before we do that, I wanna bring on Joel from Caviar, who's gonna talk with us a bit about his products and what he's, what he's doing. Nice How's it going, Joel? Good. How are you? Uh, we on? No, you're good. Try now. How am I now? Oh, there, there you go. go. Great to meet you guys. Nice Thanks for you. having me on. Absolutely, dude. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Uh, this is my first fish show, so super pumped to be here. It's All been right. fantastic. We got a first timer here. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Welcome in. I, go. I gotta say, I'm a big fan of the atmosphere. Everybody's friendly. I, I love it, man. I, I'm definitely reformed. <laughs> the, the atmosphere is what like initially brings someone in, and then they go and they learn all about the music, and it yeah. just takes them to another level. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Do you mind if I smoke? Please, uh, tell us what you're smoking. Uh, so this is our caviar joint. So this is our top selling pre-roll, the number one selling pre-roll in Colorado. Uh, it's flour, top shelf flour, uh, hand-trimmed, extracted oil, uh, and keef all mixed into one joint with wow. a glass tip on every joint. Wow. Wow. Okay. Sounds yeah. delicious. <laughs> uh, it's definitely flavor-packed, man. It's definitely flavor-packed. Where can we get that? Um, Cannabis Depot, man. Th these guys sell a lot of caviar. Um, and then we're also in a lot of the uh, dispensaries nearby. Uh, Native Roots, Star Buds, uh, Live Well, Green Valley Dispensary. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of dispensaries in the area. And we're running specials all weekend, too. 
Awesome. Yeah. And we should have mentioned, you can find the Cannabis Depot in Pueblo, West Pueblo, and they have new shops opening up in Boulder as well as Commerce City here coming soon. So keep an eye out for Caviar's joints. It'll be amazing. Please. Tell us as well, you guys have just recently, have you recently launched an edible line, Munchies? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so we took it way old school. We took real old school can of butter and put it into our cereal bars. Uh, kind of similar to like a Rice Krispie treat, uh, just with different cereals. Uh, can of butter and distillate hits you hard, fast, but nice and mellow and lasts a really, really long time compared to your uh, traditional edibles. That sounds great. I like the uh, can of butter method. Yeah. It takes me, takes me back. If you just, will. Just, just like, like mom, mom used, used to make. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Put it on the side. Please, yeah. I, we got a new marketing guru in the house. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So if you find yourself at a rock concert that's supposed to start at 8 o'clock and gets pushed back to 10 o'clock because of a rain delay, and then the music starts and the band goes for two hours, just... It, it, I don't know where you get this scenario from. These are going to be perfect for that. It's going to last a long time. It's going to be super uh, stable throughout. Absolutely. If Ah. that happens, you know, just by chance, if we get a rain delay, you're still going to be stoned. You're still going to be going. (laughs) Still going to be going. Outstanding. Tell us uh, really quickly just about your background in the industry and kind of um, give give us another plug for Caviar. Yeah, you know, I think uh, the biggest thing is uh, I followed steps from the ground up. Uh, Packaging, extracting, you know, we all had our experiences prior to uh, the full recreational. Um, So going from extracting into managing and directing uh, caviar has been a great experience. So uh, it's definitely been a ground up building and uh, you never got to, you have to make sure you never lose sight of what's important and that's a great product. Love to hear that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Joel. We really appreciate your time, and uh, we love your product, man. This is amazing stuff. Yeah, thank you guys, man. I appreciate you all, and we'll do our best to keep getting everybody stoned. That's a good (laughs) goal. It's a good mission. Can we give Joel one more round of applause for going to his first show tonight? First of... First show. Let's go. First of hundreds, I'm hoping. (laughs) Oh, this isn't the last one, I tell you. (laughs) Thank you, guys. I love it, man. All right, so we are going to bring on here uh, now... Stephanie Jenkins, Reed Mishevsky uh, of the Fish and Philosophy Roundtable to present an incredible show here for this afternoon. Greetings, fish fans. We are broadcasting live from the parking lot here at Dick's Sporting Goods Park, Saturday, night three, and we have a really, really exciting program for you today. I'm Stephanie Jenkins. I'm a philosophy professor at Oregon State University and a director for the Mockingbird Foundation. And I'm Reed Mashevsky, an arts educator and director at the Mockingbird Foundation. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Mockingbird Foundation is an all-volunteer, nonprofit organization that was founded by Fish Fans in 1997, and it raises money to support music education for children. We've distributed more than two million in all 50 states. You can learn more about our work at mbird.org and listen to today's program because we'll be talking to one of our grantees, Augustana Arts, a music education program that serves disadvantaged children in Denver this afternoon. Now, the Mockingbird Foundation participates in many different community projects related to the fish community. If you've ever used fish.net to look up stats or read a recap or connect with fans on the forum, that is thanks to the Mockingbird Foundation. 
We're here today to celebrate a new and innovative, innovative educational project that the Mockingbird collaborated on with an academic journal. Yep, absolutely. Mockingbird Foundation participated in a scholarly research of its first-of-a-kind partnership. So the first segment of today is going to be on the healing power of music. We're here today with Ashley Driscoll, the founder of GrooveSafe. Hello, 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 hello. We're excited to talk to someone who's doing important healing work within our community. Ashley, can you tell us when your first fish show was? Oh boy, this is my favorite question. Believe it or not, 2004, Coventry was my first fish show. And why do you keep coming back? Um, well, I, I guess I could say it only got better, right? I had to wait five years, and then uh, it just went uphill after that, right? So, I mean, I, friends, community, and obviously 3.0 now, 4.0. So technically, I'm a 2.0 kid, so. That's fantastic. Yeah. So when you come to fish, when you experience these things, do you think that music itself can be healing? Like, have you ever had any healing experiences at a show? Well, yes, uh, of course, obviously. I think that music is an escape kind of thing where no matter what's going on in your mind, in your life, with your work, it is a good way to like really let go. Um, and I mean, that kind of segues a little bit into my work because with GrooveSafe, which is um, a nonprofit to stop unwanted touching um, and sexual misconduct in live music events and live sporting events as well. Um, for me, I stopped having the, the feeling of that healing and letting go because of the uh, negative experiences that I did have. So it changed for me where it wasn't that powerful healing anymore. There's a lot of anxiety and nerves. Um, so that's why I do the work to spread that message so that people can continue to open up and let go and heal for the thing they love the most and not have to be looking over their shoulder. Um, so it's gonna take community to build consent culture and just keep hold each other accountable and look out for your neighbor um, and just really take care of each other. So that's kind of like where it all goes for me for healing. Can you tell us about how if fans want to get involved with GrooveSafe, what can they do? Yeah, so we always need volunteers, we always need help, um, but the biggest thing is to keep this conversation going. Let people know that harassment happens at shows, talk to um, your peers about supporting them, learn the bystander skills, so if you see someone, it's, I always say, see something, say something, but then you say, but what? What do we do and say? So learning those skills and looking out for each other, um, but obviously GrooveSafe.org, um, you can get all that information and connect with us on socials, but it really takes all of us to make this change um, and uh, you know like I said look out for your neighbor um, and just and help help me with GrooveSafe to make those changes. Real quickly if someone does see something what is I'm sure there's you said that that's all available on the org but if someone is listening right now what is something that someone can do say to stop uh, unwanted touching or yes. an unsafe situation? So there's a few skills uh, a handful actually but my favorite one the easiest one in my opinion to do is if you see someone in distress you, they're being harassed um, it's the interrupt method where you go right up to the person in distress ask them the name of the song, what time it is, where's the bathroom, and that diffuses the moment, de-escalates it, and then the person in distress has a chance to step away or engage with you and stay engaged with you. The reason that one's important to you is because you can't be wrong. You know, if, if they actually aren't having a problem, if your whole life ever, anyone ever asks you the time, you look at your watch, you say 4.30 and you move on. There's not like, why? You know, so that is one way to just interrupt the moment and um, go, go about the show, right? 
Thank you so much, Ashley. We really appreciate the important work that you're doing yeah. within our community. Thanks, and they you guys. can find you at the table inside um, the venue, Yeah, so right? we are partnered with Fish um, and the venue, actually, at this location. So we are at Section 130. Um, we got a booth. Come on, talk, and learn more, I guess. Fantastic. Yeah. Have a great rest Thanks, of the weekend. Guys. Have a good show tonight. Thank you so much. So we're here talking about the healing power of music. Our inspiration for this segment is Isaac Sloan's essay, Is Fish Therapy? You can read it in other essays at publicphilosophyjournal.org. And for this discussion, we're now joined by special guest Benji Eisen. Benji is a writer, an artist manager, and an artist himself. And you might know him most recently as the head writer for Osiris's Undermine podcast. Welcome. We're thrilled to have Benji here today. I first met him at the Oregon State University Fish Studies Conference, where I had the opportunity to interview him about his book, Deal, which he co-authored with Bill Kreutzmann. Since then, every time we've had a chance to talk about philosophy and fish, I've learned something new, so welcome, Benji. Thank you guys for having me. So we're looking forward to talking about some concepts with you about the healing power of music. So first off, can music be healing? Absolutely. Absolutely, and there's science to back this up now. Um, I, I mean, can music heal? If you get a stab wound on your arm, can it heal that? Probably not. Can it help with the, with the speed and, the, and the, the, the full recovery? Possibly. Possibly, from a scientific standpoint. But we're learning with brain science, we're learning that uh, when, when we listen to music, and you take an fMRI of somebody listening to music, it lights up all these unexpected parts of the brain, not just the ones that you'd expect. And, and by doing that, I mean, it, and with simplifying it, with, the, with uh, what we know of where it affects the brain and with neuroplasticity and stuff like along those lines, we are seeing that music actually has a scientific basis for being able to heal. Hmm. Um, and if anybody wants to know more about it, they can go to Oliver Sachs, who is the great uh, neurologist, has some amazing case studies in which he shows people with Parkinson's disease, people with other you know, serious ailments who have found uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that music has been medicine. Can you tell us about a healing experience that you've had at a concert? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I got into my car in 1996. I uh, shoveled dirt on my father's grave, and uh, very shortly after that, got in the car, drove to Colorado to see this band fish for four nights. Imagine that. And, uh, and in doing so, I had this experience where um, grief, which is obviously what I was going through, um, is often described as uh, it's, a, it's, the, it's the, the bridge between what was and what did exist and what does exist now. And it's that gap, right? You're grieving what, what, what was and you're trying to make sense of and process the fact that there's a loss and it's no longer there. And by dancing, one, by dancing with all these people connected on the same wavelengths, as you're dancing and as you're experiencing it, uh, you have this moment of transcendence where you feel connected to everyone around you, which is therapeutic in itself, shows you that your grief is, you're not alone, and that also things are bigger. So in a way, I was dancing with my father's spirit, even. But uh, I think that beyond just the, the, the transcendent element, improvisational music, by its nature, makes you, like, our, if music is based on prediction, Blackbird singing in the dead of night, and we think it's going to go night, and then instead it goes in the dead of night, and it goes up, and it tricks our brain. By tricking our brain, it puts us so squarely in the present tense that for something like grieving and mourning, 
it kind of bridges that gap between what was and what I and what is by putting you so squarely in the here and in the here and now. And you have to, you can't be playing yesterday's jam. You have to be in the moment. So I think that uh, the improvisational nature of, of music, therefore, uh, has healed me time and again. It sounds like you're distinguishing between two different kinds of healing, right? There's the healing from a particular kind of trauma, like the death of a loved one. But then there's the more kind of meditative healing, of, uh, like a maintenance of the music bringing you into the moment. It is, is that right? Absolutely. And I think the two are very much connected, mm -hmm. uh, but not exclusive. Do you think that all live music has the potential to be healing? We, we obviously live in the world of ex improvisational, experimental music for people who, do you, do you think that healing should happen at all types of music and that all people should be involved with live music? I do. I defy anybody to find a book that doesn't mention music. Find a culture that doesn't have dance. You know, and there's a reason for that. All religions have music as a centerpiece to it. And there's, uh, you know, I think that maybe that started intuitively by everyone just gravitating, but there is uh, actual fact-based evidence for the reason why music is so, you know, therapeutic is what I'm saying. And so with us, uh, with me in, uh, at least, I can speak to my own experience. Fish is, the, is, is my medicine. But I do think that all music has, this, has that, that magical property. All music. If you're singing Kumbaya in a, around a campfire, how is that not therapeutic? It's a ritual. It's community-based. You've got, yeah, I mean, it goes back to shamanistic, tribal experiences. Absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely, absolutely primal. It connects you to your community. And by connecting you to your community, it tells you the very important healing sentiment of you are not alone. So since we're here for four nights of fish, our last question for you is, what is it about fish that makes their music so healing for you? Uh, I think that that's a, a, a deeply personal... Uh, I think music is, is, is a, a deeply personal experience. And I think that one of the reasons why when we find other fish fans, we, we are so put to bond with them, it's because there's so much in our composition and our, uh, that, that uh, we already share a lot. It's not just like sharing, oh, you, you, your favorite color is purple, my favorite color is purple. It goes a lot deeper than that. And I, I, I don't think there's no simple answer, especially not that I can give you in our timeline today, that, uh, that would answer the question of why fish in particular does that. But for me, it shuts all the boxes in that I, I go back to Trey speaking in the, in the documentary Bittersweet Motel, where he's explaining that he was influenced by not just all these, this great music that he was supposed to, but also listening to, you know, more than a feeling as he's walking around a shopping mall. And so Fish was generational for me. As much as they're timeless, they're also generational. The covers that they do, the way that their influences were often my influences. And, uh, and then they became my influence. So you are obviously very connected in the community and music. You are personally know a lot of the players. Do you have any stories of where the audience helps the musicians heal, where that can be, it can be a reciprocated kind of healing? I, I can give you a, a very brief example, I, and I, I do think that that happens. I think that there's a reason why uh, Trey wrote a song that says, I never needed you like this before. You know, uh, and I think he's a, he is uh, looking for the same healing that we all are, and that I, there's so many times I've left the show and somebody has said to me, 
you have no, I didn't know how badly I needed that. You know, and I think we've all had that, but the, the anecdote that I'll give you is at Jazz Fest, I was there with Bill Treutzman from The Grateful Dead, and we had been going nonstop with work. It was, we had a lot of obligations. We were at Jazz Fest for two weeks, uh, which is probably three weeks too long from a, from a sanity standpoint. And he found out that there was a show happening. It was a, a one day off. And he found out that there's a show happening with Adam Deitch on drums, and I believe O'Teal was on bass, O'Teal Burbridge, and I forget the other musicians off the top of my head. But he found out about that. There was a one day off, the one day that I was looking most forward to catching up on sleep. And the show started at 2 a.m. And he said, we have to go to this show. And I said, okay, thinking that he would probably fall asleep and, and forget about it. And at 1.30 in the morning, I get a text going, I need you down in the lobby, we're going to the show. And I said, oh, you really want to go? And he said, if I don't go, I'm going to be sick. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, we've been talking about music for so long, we've been doing, I, it, it's, it's been such a job. I need to go and I need to hear music so that I can be refreshed and so that I can reinvigorate my... This is the drummer from The Grateful Dead, you know, mind you, who at the time was in his, his, uh, you know, in his, in his uh, late 60s. And he needed music for that healing, for the same reason that we need it. And I, I guarantee you, every time he plays, it, it's the same. This summer, we had injuries. When every time he walked off stage, no matter how much in, he was in pain, every single time, he would say, you don't know how badly I needed that. Mm. Fantastic. That's so great. Thank you so much, Benji, for joining us. We're going to talk to you a bit again. Yeah. My I bet there's going to be a lot of healing on the dance floor tonight. All right. So let's get... Uh, Let's keep on moving here. And um, we are going to be moving on to the Public Philosophy Journal is an online academic philosophy journal published by Michigan State University. And we're here today to celebrate the release of that special issue and that you and um, the Mockingbird director and Vice President Charlie Dirksen co-edited on Fish and Philosophy, Dr. Jenkins. So this is the first ever academic journal to feature fish, correct? Yep, and we're moving on to our segment on ethics. Fantastic. So I'm Reed Mischewski from the Mockingbird Foundation. And I'm Stephanie Jenkins of Oregon State University and also the Mockingbird Foundation. In this second segment, we're going to be talking about the ethics of fandom with Benji Eisen, and we're also going to be joined by Scott Marks. We're going to be talking about questions like what ethical responsibilities do fans have to one another, to local communities, to the band? So our inspiration for this particular discussion is Alex Gillum's article, Virtue, Ethics, and Fandom, which was recently published in the Public Philosophy Journal's special issue about fish and philosophy. Benji and Scott, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. So, Scott, Benji, you're turned, or tuned in members of the fish community. What do you think are some examples of pressing or even not so pressing ethical issues, good or bad, that you think our community is facing right now? Um, I, I think, you know, for ethical issues, it kind of ties into, you know, how you're behaving at shows with uh, group safe, um, you know, consent, and how you're treating others, um, whether that's fully ethical or just, you know, common behavioral skills. I think it's all, you know, stuff that's been important, you know, respecting each other's space, wherever you are inside the venue, and uh, respecting each other.
So we talked about what it means to be a respectful member of our community, you know, a good fan. Scott, you're a notable figure on Fish Twitter. In your experience, do ethical issues online differ from face-to-face -face interactions? Is there a, a, a particular platform that you should behave a certain way on? Uh, I try and treat people online as I would in person. Um, you know, the same you know, customer service aspect. I, I you know, represent myself, Mockingbird, Fishnet. And I, I try and you know treat people if they come up to me as it's the most important part of my day, and just treat everybody with respect, like you want to be treated, and um, just uh, you know be be a good person. You said that you try to treat every person like it's the most important moment of your day. Yes. That's a really high standard. Uh, I don't want someone to, to walk away from me thinking, you know, well, this guy's a, a jerk, um, you know, and I, I just think it's, a, I've been on the other side where I, I've known people, whether it's intentional or not, where, like, I have a, a, a good friend of mine who uh, did lights for a band for a while, and um, before I got a chance to know him very well, like, I, I'd go up to him and, and talk to him before a show, and, like, he was so wrapped up in what he was doing, and just, like, I walk away thinking, wow, that's, that's kind of a dick. <laughs> and so, you know, I understand now that he was like really involved in what he was doing, but I didn't feel very important after I would go over and say hello. And so, you know, whether it's intentional or not on how you, you treat people, it's important to be self-aware. And, you know, I mean, granted, there are times if you're in the middle of eating dinner or whatever, then, you know, people should maybe wait till you finish what's in your mouth. But... Um, you know, I'd, I'd rather just, again, drop what I'm doing and, and talk to people. So that's kind of my, my MO. Imagine what our shows would be like if we all slowed down and behaved that way. <laughs> it, it reminds me of the, the, uh, the like a, almost like a Buddhist or a, a Hindu concept where you, you have to recognize God in everyone. And, and you don't want to accidentally blow off God, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Scott, you do a significant amount of work, uh, like you said, on Fish.net and ar archiving the shows and set lists. Um, you have an incredibly strong commitment to the, to the value of accuracy. So how would you describe your responsibilities as an archivist, whether through .net or on your Twitter account? Um, with what I do on my Bizarre Archive Twitter account is I try and, you know, get all the information I can, uh, which is a, a fraction of what goes on to Fishnet. Sometimes I'll, you know, if I get a, a sideshow set list, I'll, I'll put that onto .NET, but I might not tweet about it because it might not really be of uh, public interest um, beyond like two or three people, but um, we have a, a strong collection of, of data, which, you know, a, a lot of it, you know, we got from uh, Fish and Kevin Shapiro, and a lot of it we've gotten from uh, fans over the years with our own setlist file, but um, there's no other site that has like sideshows um, that that documents everything that's been going on uh, outside of fish. So it's kind of a branch, and just you know, I'll have my ear to the ground so often, or I'll, I'll have stuff come my feed, like oh, someone's siding with this band, or there was a sideshow here, or whatever, and. You know, put it into the database, and it's it's there for people to, to look back on if they want to find it, or it's there if nobody really gives a shit. So, it's 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 there. It's, uh, Someone part, always gives a shit. Part of archiving, um, and just uh, having all everything in there, and, and you realize that there's so many bands that 
you don't have that, um, whether it's lack of sideshows or lack of set lists in general. And um, a lot of it comes in from the community and what people have taken time to, uh, to contribute. Benji, in your writing as a music journalist uh, and Undermine's head writer, or as a co-author of Bill Kreutzmann's memoir, you have the power to represent our community, not just to ourselves, but to a broader audience. How do you understand your responsibilities as a writer, and what values direct your work? Well, for, for uh, writing Bill Kreutzmann's memoirs, my, my, uh, I, I think my number one directive to myself was to be as true as possible to his story. And I, you know, had to recognize his story is not my story, and we differ. Uh, we're very similar people, but of course, like a, a anybody, we have our own set of ethics and our own set of uh, ideals. And I had to stick to it was his, it was my words, but it was his story. So my uh, responsibility was to accurately represent him. As far as uh, writing for Undermine and things like that, I try to consciously put the, our community, our, the scene that means so much to me, to put our best foot forward. Uh, and to, I mean, we have some ugly sides and we have some things that as a community we need to work on. And I think that it's important to bring, uh, shed a little bit of light on that to start those dialogues. But I also think, you know, we have so many amazing, special aspects to this community. And to really let those aspects shine was important to me. While at the same time, not sugarcoating anything and just being as true as possible as, as I could to my experience as a fish fan. Are there ethical issues that come up in the making of a podcast that differ from other forms of writing or face-to-face -face interactions? I, I think that it's probably about the, the same as other forms of writing. You're trying to represent, uh, in this case, you're trying to represent a community as accurately as possible. Like I said, not, trying not to sugarcoat the issues, but also trying to say we have a lot of amazing, wonderful elements and aspects to us that deserves to be celebrated and recognized. Uh, and I do think in, in the podcast, we did have some discussions that were very uh, modern day discussions. I, I, I think Brian Brinkman, I, uh, I owe a uh, huge shout out for, for making sure that we had uh, in, in our uh, second season, making sure that we had uh, everyone in the community represented and everyone had a voice. And uh, we wanted to make sure that we, uh, we wanted to make sure to honor that. Stephanie, you um, are a philosopher, and your expertise is ethics, so what do you think is important, or is there anything else that you'd like to add to this? Actually, I, I wanted to draw our attention to a very brief quotation from the Jillum essay that our, uh, this entire segment was inspired by, because I think it really summarizes our, the conversation that we're having. And it's that regardless of the specific ethical issue, the key thing is that fish fans should be respectful of one another and treat each other how they would like to be treated. That's how we build a, a healthy community. Right, it really reminds me of kind of what Scott was talking about earlier. And um, the important thing is that ethics is something that's really situational. It's difficult to have a really, uh, it's, it's not made of recipes, right? And the important thing is that we are looking out for one another and um, as Scott said, treating each other like is the most important moment of the day. Yeah, you know, it, it reminds me of my dad at a baseball game. You never know whose day could be made or ruined. You know, it's, it's a special thing. So thank you so very much, Scott, Benji, for being here. So thanks for having us. Just thank like you old times. <laughs>
Next, we're going to be talking to one of the authors of an article in the Public Philosophy Journal called White Fragility, Adam Lyons. Thanks so much, Scott and Benji. And we're really excited to talk to Adam. Hello, hello. hello. How are you? Hi, hi. How are you all doing? Welcome. Thank you, thank you. So, Adam, um, what was your first fish show, and why do you keep coming back? Uh, so, I, I think my first show was in 97. I went to a few 1.0, 2.0, including Coventry. Uh, but it was really the gorge in 2009 that got me hooked. Back in the day, it was a little bit of a substitute for the dead for me. But once 3.0 started, I went to the gorge and then to Festival 8. I was all in. And I would say that I keep coming back because what I find in this experience is a, a kind of collective ecstatic release. I think that's closest to what some people find in religion. I'm not a particular, particularly religious person. Uh, but I find community. I find joy at a level that I don't experience in other places. Adam, can you tell us what is Fans for Racial Equity? Why was it founded? Sure. So FREE, or Fans for Racial Equity, is an organization uh, that is working to make the community as inclusive as possible and anti-racist, and also to mobilize our community to make a difference uh, to fight racism in the, in the broader world. And it was founded, actually, the inspiration was at, speaking of festivals, was at Magnaball. And I was walking around Magnaball, and I was noticing how overwhelmingly white our scene is, and I was thinking about what that might feel like to walk through as a person of color. And I was also noticing a bunch of cops on horseback, just making sure we're all safe, you know, not hassling us too much. And I was thinking about whether uh, we would experience the same kind of policing, et cetera, if we were 30,000 black folks in America. And I started to think about how uh, there's some privilege based, baked into what we get to do uh, in this scene and what kind of responsibilities that that might give us. And so I ended up uh, writing an essay called Fish Seems So White, Let's Talk, to try to start a conversation. That, that let's talk part was important, right? I wanted to start a conversation in the community. And it did start a conversation. Uh, a number of people uh, contacted me and were very, very happy to say, see that I was not starting, but really forwarding a conversation that people of color in our scene have been having for a long time. Um, and then there was a lot of folks that were not that happy about it. And that actually is what inspired the article that we wrote for the Fish Philosophy, the, the Philosophy Journal for the Fish Study Conference about white fragility, because there were a lot of folks that were very upset that we were talking about race in the scene and were sort of coming forward with the fact that, oh, we're so inclusive already. Why do you have to bring race into it? And it really exposed, for me, the idea that there uh, is a lot of education that we need to do within our scene uh, about how not everyone is having the same experience and not everyone can, you know, folks who are, are uh, fans of color cannot uh, leave their skin color at the door when they go into the turnstile. And sometimes it could be harder to experience that collective ecstasy when they're being othered or treated differently at shows, uh, people assuming that they work at the venue and asking where the bathroom is. Um, and I ended up, I talked to a bunch of fans of color for this essay, so I was able to get a sense of what the real experience was. Uh, but the good thing is that there were a lot of people that did want to have this conversation and so out of that, uh, many folks got in touch with me. We ended up forming Fans for Racial Equity, which is now a, a 501c3 nonprofit organization, uh, where we looked to forward those two aspects of our mission. One is to make the scene anti-racist, and one is to work to, uh, for equity in the outside world. 
So you talk about a number of those those issues. Um, have you ever had any anecdotal experiences of people leaving the community because of the issues that you just mentioned, or are there specific things that that maybe the average fan might not even realize that they're engaging in? Yeah. So um, my actually my colleague Malcolm uh, Howard, who couldn't be here because he had to go in and set up the table, so go say hi to us at the Fanspirational Equity table inside the show. Malcolm will be there. Uh, but he talks about you know knowing he's a black man who's been seeing fish for 30 years, and he knows a lot of fans for color that fans of color that don't come to the shows because it's just not their space they don't feel comfortable they'll listen to the music but they don't go on tour they don't come to the shows i know that after the incident at uh, the gorge in 2018 when fans of color were attacked there were fans of color who were canceling their tour plans and were wondering if this was a safe space for them and a place that would be welcoming and that's one of the reasons why we thought it was so important to really ramp up our work at fans for racial equity to send a very strong message to the community that that is not acceptable in our community and I think that's one of the things that fans can do more broadly is if you see something that's racist or questionable in the community make clear that, that is not acceptable in our community step in intervene and make very clear what we stand for and that that is not going to be tolerated in our community when you say step in like can you identify some specific actions that fans can take Sure. I think if you see something, you know, I've heard racist comments in the bathroom. Uh, you might see someone asking someone, you know, ass making assumptions about someone, right? So another fan of color, a friend of mine, talks about how when she would bring her uh, partner to shows who's a white man, she's a black woman, people would talk to him assuming the other way around. So when you see those kinds of things, I think there's really two two goals. The first is to make sure that the person experiencing the the microaggression or racism is comfortable. And so I would first engage with that person, make sure that they feel safe and comfortable. But then the second goal is to intervene with the person who's who's uh, doing the transgression to make clear what is not acceptable in our community. And that's important not only to make it clear to that person that their behavior won't be tolerated, but that has a spillover effect because it also makes clear to other people who are around. Because too often, everyone is waiting for someone else to say something or be passive. And so really what we're asking for is for folks to take active responsibility for our scene and step up and step in. So how else can fans get involved? What, uh, you said that you're, you're all loaded up on the 501c3. What's the website? How can people really get engaged? Sure. So uh, the website is fans for P-H-A-N-S for racial equity, uh, not equality, equity, fans for racial equity dot org. So you can go to our website where you can get involved there. We'll be inside uh, at the table. So uh, Fish has been generous to allow us the table at every show this tour. So we've been at most of them. Uh, the other thing that we're doing is we're partnering uh, with local grassroots nonprofit racial equity organizations at each stop of the tour so when you go to the table or online you can make a contribution free will actually match those contributions up to a thousand dollars our partner uh, here in Colorado is the last prisoner project uh, they are stepping up to reverse the racist uh, policing of cannabis and how black folks have been experiencing the brunt of that uh, incarceration while a lot of white folks are stepping in to make a lot of money now that it's been legalized they're working on that issue uh, so you can you can contribute that will be matched, but also you can get involved. We think about, there's sort of three pil pillars of our scene. There's uh, the bands, the venues, and the fans. And so we're working in each lane to make it more equitable. And so you can get involved, you can join one of our committees, like the communications committee, the education committee. You can work on developing out our tra training venue tool. Uh, you can work and help fans tell their stories. There's lots of things to do. We are uh, mostly an all-volunteer organi all organization. We are hiring for some uh, a little bit of staff time to expand, but mostly we are run, we have a volunteer board and we're run primarily by volunteers. So we would love folks to get involved and contribute your time.
That's wonderful. Thank you so very much for everything that you're doing in the community, and uh, have a great rest of the weekend. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Really oh, appreciate it. Our this. pleasure. All right. Thank you. Once again, my name is Reed Mashevsky. I'm with the Mockingbird Foundation, and that's our uh, discussion on ethics. And uh, we want to thank everyone who's joined us so far. And uh, but we've got a lot more to talk about. Right now, we're going to check out other essays about fish and philosophy on the Public Philosophy Journal's website, publicphilosophyjournal.org. I'm Stephanie Jenkins. Reed and I are both directors for the Mockingbird Foundation, a nonprofit organization that raises money to support music education for children. You can learn about our work at mbird.org, but make sure to stick around for our next segment. It's going to be extra special because we're going to be talking to one of our successful grantees right here on the lot today. So in this segment, we are going to be discussing music education as a case study in, in community engagement. And the inspiration for this conversation is Lindsay Martin Wood's article, Identity and Connection in the Fish Experience, which was recently published in the Public Philosophy Journal's special issue about fish and philosophy. Her essay, her essay discusses the importance of the fan community to cause positive social change, and she uses the Mockingbird Foundation as one of her case studies. Lynn? The Mockingbird Foundation, as you know, supports music education for children. Uh, we have been doing so since the mid-1990s, and the Augustana Arts is one of our successful grantees from um, the, here, right here in Denver. And so we're talking here with Lynn Nestenhin from the, uh, the Executive Director at the Augustana Arts uh, Center in Denver. Thank you so much for coming in. Is this your first time on a lot at a fish show? It is my first time. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. What do you think? What do you think so far? Uh, a lot of energy. Loving it. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, does anything surprise you so far? Nothing. No. It's Denver. It's Colorado. <laughs> That's a fantastic we brought you here today because you're the executive director of Augustana Arts in Denver. Can you tell us about your music education program? What kind of work do you do? Yeah, so we started out uh, 20 years ago with a program called City Strings, where we brought violin, viola, and cello lessons to kids, mostly in Title I schools, but also boys and girls clubs. Um, we've also expanded it now onto an umbrella called Music Encounters. Thanks to the Fish Fans and Mockingbird Foundation, we were able to grow it and uh, create an umbrella organization called Music Encounters, where we also now bring uh, ukulele and drums to some of our program sites. Um, and so since then, we're in a lot of Title I schools, and uh, we are also now at an um, uh, organization called the Colfax Community Network, where they are off of Colfax, and it's um, serving children and families that might be in transient housing or locations that we actually have violin lessons for them as well for after-school programs. So it's pretty successful and very excited to be able to touch lives through music. Really fantastic. So what type of students, all ages, all economic backgrounds, is there a specific um, type of student that you uh, focus on? Right now we're serving third through fifth grade, although we do have a site that's Saturday all day, and we have... Um, first graders all the way up to high schoolers. In fact, we had a student, Connor. I was so excited to see him. We had an end of year recital. And Connor not only started as a violinist, as a young student in third grade, he was now going to be an eighth grader. He composed his own solo on a violin, played it at one of our perform at our recital, and it was just very exciting to see what how he blossomed with just the initial impact of being handed a violin and being able to play. 
you received uh, $4,000 in 2015 for instruments. Uh, now, you mentioned a little bit about this in an earlier question, but I was hoping you could tell us what you purchased with the, that grant money and how those instruments have been used. Uh, specifically, like, are, are they still around? Are they, are they getting used? Yeah, we do have an extensive inventory. Mm -hmm. I mean, we track them. Our children, our youth who are in the program, um, only have to pay $20, a little, little mm -hmm. skin in the game, by asking them for a whole year to mm -hmm. contribute $20. We let them use the instrument for the whole for the whole year. Um, they can take it home. We encourage practicing um, and taking responsibility for that instrument. Then we collect it back at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So we do have, still have a lot of those instruments. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, yeah, some of them did, were hard to retrieve. And we know that hopefully they're in someone's home and still being played. Um, so we're accumulating. We continue to um, acquire new instruments. Uh, most of our instruments have to be half size. So, you know, a full size violin, we can get a lot of those donated. But the half size and the quarter sizes for our younger kids are what mm -hmm. they need because you can you have to size the violin to the to the child. So uh, that we we were able to purchase violins mm -hmm. and I know with the grant money um, we were able to uh, start a program at Cope uh, Vickers Boys and Girls Club. Um, and we've then also gone into Cope. We Boys and girls clubs are often difficult to kind of stay with. I, uh, the heroes out there are those program directors in the boys and girls clubs who have to try to keep, you know, work with the youth there. Um, but we were able to bring our violin lessons there for a time being, and now we went try to different, co you know, boys and girls clubs, and we try look at different community centers to be able to offer the program. What do you have to say to? administrators, school districts, people who do not see the value in arts education. What do you have to say to them? Uh, it's essential, right, to all of us. Uh, I, I always reflect on the quote um, that uh, Hans Christian Andersen said, where words fail, music speaks. And I think that's so important that sometimes you know, it's hard to know what to say and how to process a lot that's going on in our world, and, and especially for young people. Um, having music as an opportunity to be able to express themselves is critical, not just for uh, academics or for the sake of a grade, but it is for the sake of uh, humanity and just learning those basic skills of discipline and responsibility and taking care and expression. And our kids don't have enough opportunities to truly express themselves in the way that they want to. So maybe they not, may not have the words to express anger or guilt or whatever, shyness. But music is a way that can reach and to ex allow them an opportunity to express themselves. One of my favorite stats about arts education is pro schools that do not have visual arts programs have a 70% higher level of graffiti uh, on their campuses. Because because the students, like you're just saying, don't have the opportunity for the outlet, for the creative stuff. So we're here at a fish concert, and the Mockingbird Foundation was founded by fish fans. We're an all-volunteer organization, and, and what that means is that there's a lot of Mockingbird Foundation donors who are walking around and can hear this conversation. Is there anything that you want our donors to know? Well, you know, another quote that is my all-time favorite, every action in our lives strikes on some chord that will vibrate through eternity. 
Edwin Hubble Chapins had said that. And I, and I really believe that's true, that every action, whether it's being able to donate, um, we are so grateful for the generosity of so many donors who continue to contribute to programs such as ours. We're a 501c3. We do it, what we do through the generosity of individuals and corporations and foundations, um, that those actions do vibrate through humanity. And we may not always see the impact of what we do right then and there. But I, I believe that it continues to vibrate over time and through humanity in profound ways that, you know, we may not know, but that's the, that's the gift and the beauty of being able to donate to something where you know there's gonna be an impact at some point and you may not see it right then and there, but there is indeed going to be an impact. As a fellow arts educator, I, I could not yeah. agree with you more. It is such an essential thing in that moment when you see the light pop up where they go, oh, this is what it is and this is what it means. It's, it's really, it's a special thing. Thank you so much for the important work that you do and thank you for bringing yourself all the way out here into Shakedown. And thank you to the Mockingbird Foundation thank you so for your very support much. And, and the fish fans. Yes, thank you. and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Scott Marks. We have a final few questions for our guest, Scott Marks. Scott Marks is here with us. He is also a fellow Mockingbird Foundation director. Scott, you just heard Lynn's story about Augustana Arts. How did that make you feel? I'm sorry, what? You just heard Lynn's story about Augustana Arts directly from one of our, our grantees. How did that make you feel? I think it's fantastic, you know, to, to see what impact our uh, grants that we, we get money back to provide for the students with the instruments and the education. And uh, it's, it's kind of cool hearing, uh, I guess, a teenager now writing his own solos. It's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, and to have any... Any, any involvement in that, it, it means a lot, so it's really cool. And can you tell us what role the Mockingbird, what, what role the Mockingbird Foundation plays in the community for you? Um, I, I think it's a, it's a chance for the, the fans to, to get back a little bit. Um, you know, without music education, there would be no musicians, uh, whether you're getting private lessons or you're getting public lessons and instruments that are coming from the schools. Um, and, you know, the, the members of the, the band were students at one point as well. And so it, it all kind of ties in together to be able to give something back and to pay it forward, if you will. Um, and the Mockingbird Foundation is pretty much all fish fans, so it's a little segment of the community, and it kind of just branches out in many directions. Scott, do you have any personal experience with music or arts education? What does arts or music education mean to you? So I, I, I do have personal experience. I grew up playing baritone horn and trombone from uh, the fourth grade and uh, probably until a couple years outside of college. Um, so. I had a, I grew up in a town that had a really good music education program where I could play whatever instrument I wanted to, and just realized that saying it's like the first thing to go in budgets is, is music and the arts. Uh, so it's it certainly, you know, I'm a, a fish fan first and foremost, I guess, but you know, musician and just appreciate music. It's a 
Maybe it's one one A and one B. It's it's so so important. So we're all here. We're all fish fans. We've been talking about fish and philosophy today. We started talking about the healing power of music. Then we talked about the ethics of fandom, and we concluded by talking about music education. And got to talk to one of our star grantees, Augustana Arts. I think we can all. We all have experiences with music. We've all been saved by rock and roll. We all have our own answer to why the question why music education is important, but that's a wrap. We'd like to take this time to thank you all. Thank you to Osiris, especially, for letting us take over their podcast today. Thank you to our interviewees. Thank you to our listeners, whether you've been listening here on the lot or you're listening at home on the podcast. We sincerely hope that you take a little bit of time this weekend or this week to go and learn more about us at uh, mbird.org, where the Mockingbird Foundation, all volunteer, all fish fan run, and uh, serving the community for a quarter of a century and over $2 million donated to arts education over the course of the last 25 years. And we hope you found some concepts you'd like to ponder more uh, from today's program, so don't forget to check out the Public Philosophy Journal special issue about fish and philosophy at publicphilosophyjournal.org. My name is Reed Bashevsky. And I'm Stephanie Jenkins. Thanks for listening. Happy dicks. Happy dicks, everybody. Thank you. All right. That was great. That was an incredible presentation from the Mockingbird Foundation Fish and Philosophy Roundtable. I've been looking forward to that all summer long. That was awesome. Thanks again to the Mockingbird Foundation. Everybody give them a big hand for what they just did here and everything they do. Mockingbird Foundation does amazing work in our larger community, and we're so, so thrilled to partner with them here today. And also, I think what, uh, what uh, Dr. Jenkins is doing with Fish Philosophy has also been uh, an amazing gift to our community. Definitely. Agree completely. So we're joined by one of the panel guests, the distinguished Mr. Benji Eisen. Once again, we can't get rid of you. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. We, we, was, we wanted... uh, was last night 375 for you? Last night was my th uh, uh, give or take. <laughs> one last night. Ish. So um, Scott Marks recently celebrated his year anniversary, meaning 365, and I, I. Counted every show up until 100, and then periodically would would uh, would check my stats. And uh, by seeing his 365, I said, "Oh, that's a that's an anniversary I'd like to celebrate." And uh, I blew it, and it was uh, 374. So I was like, "Well, at least I'll be able to celebrate my, my 375." <laughs> and it almost didn't happen. Yeah, at least they gave you a memorable one. Tonight, tonight almost was my 375th after last night. Well, we wanted to do a quick recap of last night's show. Um, we talked on Thursday with you as well as the dudes from Work Plus about what we thought of Fish's impact, what we thought of Dick's impact on Fish throughout the last 11 years. We talked yesterday uh, with Justin Bruce, who gave us an ominous weather report about night one. We wanted to break down night two for, with you before we head into the show here this evening. So, unique show, second single set show of the tour based on rain delays, third one overall. Had you been to a single set rain out show before? Or was this your first? 
Uh, this was my first. I've been to Sinbos at fish shows before because of festivals. Those are planned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. those are planned. This was this was my first rain delay uh, one set show, and I was joking last night that you know I think with uh, that in some ways not with fish, and so therefore it really is just a joke. But uh, how Trey's been migrating with uh, with Ghost of the Forest, and and he's like he's liking that two-hour Beacon Jams is another yeah. example of that yeah. two-hour one long set format. Maybe because it's different and it's new, and also because uh, of the age factor as well. <laughs> but uh, touring with Goose this fall might 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 uh, you know further that argument. But just jokes, though. Fish will always be a two-set band. They will always be. It, yep. it, it, it caters to them, and I'm I'm excited to get back to a two-set model. Um, how three sets at their best. <laughs> three sets, is, of course. Four set with a secret uh, yeah, set. How about I'm that? I'm into the yeah, fourth set. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fourth set fan. I would go for six, you know, yeah, if they yeah, would. Exactly. I'm, I would try yeah, it. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. So they come on stage about two hours late. What were some of your big highlights of last night? What were your impressions of the overall show? Well, I only in hindsight am I uh, really... Uh, uh, it's interesting because... We knew that they were going to jam pack it, and we knew from Pine, Pine Knob kind of gave us a blueprint. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that I mean, and, and we'll get into this a little bit more tomorrow when we talk about the, the about the the, the tour overall, the whole tour yeah, overall, and the wrap up. But I thought that Pine Knob was uh, a shy. It was the highlight of the summer, and I think it's uh, absolutely 100% a result of the situation. Yeah. And last night was I mean we know that. By being an improvisational, improvisationally based band, that uh, Fish is always responding and reacting to yeah. their the moment. They're reacting to their environment and what's immediately in front of them and whatever's been going on. So when there's a rain delay, there was all of us know that there's that energy that we had and totally. that weirdness. With that the same thing was happening backstage. You know, there's that. Are we gonna go on? Is this gonna be canceled? There's the there's the anxiety. Then there's the energy, and then they feel, you know, all 25 or thousand or however many people, you know, with that pent-up energy of, of like a lightning storm, like, you know, now what? And it's like, uh, I almost had the mental imagery of, of, you know, like dancing around, you know, in a downpour around a, a bonfire or something. I got the sense, and Jonathan, when you and I were together, we were in a really good spot last night. When they announced everyone evacuate, our initial thought was, let's just hang here. The worst thing to do is get back to the car and then have to figure our way back in. So let's just hang here. Most people in our section stayed put. Some people kind of migrated up as the rain came. But everyone was in really good vibes. Nobody seemed pissed off, like, why is the band on stage? I've been planning for this. Some people planned their evening around fish coming on right at 8 o'clock. They were okay. They were able to mellow through it. It's a survivable Ultimate, situation. Yeah, it felt, you know, you had people running on the field. You had the naked dude. You had uh, a kid on the field at some point. You had... A man and a woman meet midfield and dance around. I mean, it was parts irresponsible, parts joyful. Really just like the mix that you get at a fish show that, that makes us come back for more. There was also a fish show. There was a fish show. After all of this, they finally <laughs> came on stage. Well, before they came on stage, I think that uh, I wasn't the only one to call Naked Dude. As soon as the field was cleared, you uh, know that there's going to be... It's a matter of time. It's, yeah, it's a matter of time. It, it's, a, it's as uh, easy as calling a tweezer reprise at the end of a tweezer show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they come on, we get a, just a massive set of, of heavy hitters. Karini, Yem, Ghost, 
We get Julius, Reba, Tube, Tweezer, What's the Use, Weak Pog Groove, Sands, Mikes, or Hydrogen, Ina Nomens, Back in a Weak Pog, Moon Age Daydream, Choctaw's Torture, and then an encore of Pebbles and Marbles and Tweezer Reprise. Give me one big highlight for you from last night's show. Um, I got the Tweezer to me. Uh, tweezer is almost like a, a, a um, paint by numbers highlight, you know, in, the, in that it's, it's always, whenever they play it, it's set up to potentially be the highlight. But last night I really thought that they delivered. They did a, a Destiny Unbound esque jam yeah. in there. Yeah. The, at the time, I, I, was, I felt like it was a full on, you know, I, it almost felt like there was. This, this quick moment in time in which had they wanted to, they could have kind of just transitioned into Destiny Unbound and done the second half of it, like an inverted Absolutely. Disco Biscuit style, uh, you know, uh, segue. And instead, of course, it went back into Tweezer. And I just thought that it was an impeccable, I haven't gone back and re-listened yet, but I thought that it was an impeccable uh, segment of music into What's the Use. It was a great segment of music. And just watching them kind of ride that, and there was a bit, I was telling Brian earlier, uh, there's a bit after they've hit upon that groove that Trey trills like he's going to do secret language. But in this case, he was like, just listen to me. And then he went off over top of that groove. And that was a lot the, the, of fun. The not so secret language. Yeah, the not so secret, <laughs> yeah. you know, the language. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and shout out my highlight here. Do it. Which is, it, it, I would say it's hard to pick, but I really loved the execution of that Reba, yes. the placement of that Reba, Trey Solo in that Reba. I'm a big fan of that Reba. So your highlight, you would say, is the Reba? Obviously, Chalk Dust. Yes, no, of it's course. The Reba. Of course. It's I, the Reba. I followed you right there. Yes. Yeah. I think you both are right. I don't think there's a wrong answer. I don't think Last night is. was one of those shows where every song that was played was, oh my God, they're playing this after the one they just played. Uh, for me, it's the first, the opening three songs. Karini, You Enjoy Myself, and Ghost. That segment, that whole segment. Because that said everything you're talking about. That said to me that the band standing backstage was like, okay, people have been waiting. It's filled back up. A friend of mine mentioned to me during the show last night, he was like, look at this. It's more filled than it was right before they came on. It's the only fan base. Anyone else, any other band that has a two-hour delay like this, you're losing 25% of the audience, and right. it's going to be kind of a loose, scattered show. People were running into the venue last night. So you have this packed house. Everyone's going crazy. The second they start playing Karini, glow sticks are going in the air like it's midway through set two. And to go that, to you enjoy myself, we get the second jam after the vocal jam, as little we've been one. hearing throughout the summer. Just a little one, provided a nice segue into Ghost, and then that Ghost, if we're talking musically, that was my musical highlight of the overall show. It was just stunning stuff. I really love how when they came on with Creaney, I think during the two-hour delay, which you have a lot of time to speak to your neighbors and your friends about what are they going to do, how are they going to answer this, yeah. and of course the predictable thing, which Fish is very rarely predictable, uh, well, sometimes, but uh, uh, it, <laughs> except when it they was, are. yes, except when they are. But uh, I, I felt you know there's a lot of calls for uh, now is now when they open with drowned or they gonna open with you know water in the sky something something so literal. And instead, they came on and it, by opening with that Karini, and then you enjoy myself. 
the by the time it got to you enjoying myself, it felt like we were midway through the show. Sure. Yeah. You know, sure. it had that like, okay, we're not gonna skip a beat. We're enough of the introductions, you know who we are. Let's get right to it. That's a good point. And yeah. Karini had that great nothing's gonna stop us now yeah. jam that um, <laughs> I was like, Starship, yes. Um, and it was awesome. And of course that was on message too, because that's the message they want to deliver to us is nothing Absolutely. nothing's gonna stop us. Absolutely, hundred percent. So we all love last night's show. We're going into night three, traditionally the final night of Dix's run, the Dix run. Uh, we're going to have another night, though. As as much as Jonathan Hart has been protesting, the fourth I have night not in Dix's run. Protested. I'm you just, just say. I, I'm, I'm here to see if you guys can handle it. <laughs> well, well, it ended up being three and a half anyway. So yeah, three and a half. So it couldn't do easy. four. What do you want to hear, Benji, tonight? What are you expecting? Um, well, as we were talking about earlier, I, I am expecting them to do a lot of the, the newer songs from the, from the, the uh, latter, latter day era of their yes. songwriting. Um, but I am also expecting them to do what I, we've seen a lot of them doing this summer, uh, what we've seen them do a lot this summer, which is this sort of patient jamming. Yeah. Yes. And, and I do think that they will do, and it, it's weird because they kind of got to a place, as we all know, fish reacts to themselves sure. a lot. And so they did these long form jams last year, and this year it's been a lot more tighter and compactor. And it's relaxed jamming, even though the ideas are just coming by so fast that they are getting right to the improvisation. I, I think we see more of that tonight, and I don't think, unlike a traditional last third night of Dits, where they may be uh, tired or exhausted, and it might kind of just be like a, a you know anticlimactic. I think that tonight they take the energy from last night and they go up. Pour it over. Play like range, damn it! Yeah, you know, I could get on board with that. Um, it's not my prediction, but I'm, I would I would be down what, with what, what LaGrange. What is your prediction? Mine? Mm. One step down? No, they're going to open with uh, hydrogen to make up for last night. They better. Otherwise, perfect evening. Um, <laughs> that's a long shot, I think. As much, as much as we'd love to hear it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, so hydrogen is your prediction? That's an open the show? No, that's not a serious pick. It's Sigma Oasis time, right? Oh, Sigma Oasis, right, right. Are they going to do the mites and the hydrogen? Are they going to complete the Wikipod? I, I'm going to say no, but I would like them to. Be, I'm okay with being wrong. It happened once before. Just once. <laughs> I, I think the writing is on the wall for a massive set your soul free opening second set tonight. Sure. That's what I'm feeling. Second, sorry, second song in the set. Second song in the set? After I think Sigma Oasis. After the free YouTuber. The free YouTube Sigma Oasis. But I want a big, long Sigma Oasis. Yeah, no, so the Sigma's going to be the, the first set opener. That's going to be the first set opener, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then Set Yourself Free will be the second. It should be great, whatever it is. We got a lot of... I really hope it's setting sail. Setting, setting sail, sail would be great. Yeah. Drowned, maybe, to kind of yeah, throw a tongue-in-cheek yeah. for last night. Um, someone on this panel has been asking for Albuquerque the entire time that they've been seeing fish. I don't know who that is. I'm okay, but though, with it. I don't need it Yeah, tonight. yeah, no, you don't need it, but somebody I, I, does. I've seen it. I see it been there. <laughs> Whatever happens, though, we're going into night three of dicks. Yeah, it should be awesome. Three of them. Albuquerque. Stop it. We're going into <laughs> yeah, night three of dicks. That. Should be great. Um, tomorrow, we'll be back for our conclusion as fish concludes their summer tour as well. We are going to be joined by Benji Eisen, once again. He's going to be hanging with us along with a number of other incredible people. We're also going to be joined by our good friend Tom Marshall. I think you know who that is. 
Heard of him. I've heard of him. He is going to talk with us through his 2022 songwriting session with Mr. Trey Anastasio. Back in March, they're going to go through songs that were written, uh, the vibe of the overall session that they had, kind of where his head was at when he was writing some of those lyrics, what he heard from Trey from a musical standpoint. It should be a really cool conversation. Do you think that there's any chance, predictively, that we could say without any, without any uh, uh, special knowledge, do you, do you think that there's a chance that Fish would potentially play one of those new songs? I think, and this is outsider, yeah, pers- you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't have it. Nobody tells me nothing. And, and, uh, and if but, they did, they'd be lying anyway. Yeah, but I have observed that Trey likes to play the song when Tom's in the room, you know, whatever the song may be. The new one they're working on, the thing they're loving so much these days, whatever that. Maybe yeah. it's time we finally get um, Epitaph. Maybe it is time. And, and also, another thing that Fish has done in the past, and it's from the Fish playbook, is the last night of a tour, or the last night of a run, which is it, conventional thinking would be like, that's not the time for you to debut something new. And of course, we saw a new debut at the, uh, at the end of the, of the summer tour with Fishman. Yeah. And, I, and I see it as being a very fishy move to debut a brand new song on the last night of, of the uh, entire, uh, entire summer tour. Dick's 2019, we got Sightless Escape opening the second set of that show. That's right. Dick's 2021, you could argue that the Catapult went into its own debut, the, uh, the Machine Jam. The Machine Jam. Will. Not an official. Um, so we'll be doing that tomorrow. It should be a ton of fun. We really, we're excited for that conversation. We're also going to talk through Fish's Summer 2022 tour, kind of our larger impressions as we come to a conclusion on it. We want to remind you once again, we are here from Osiris Media. My name is Brian Brickman. I'm Jonathan Hart. We're both co-hosts on the Help and Friendly podcast. We do a bunch of work on Undermine as well. We thank you all for hanging with us, for listening to us here these last couple of days. We also want to thank Stephanie Jenkins, Reed Mischewski, Ashley Driscoll, Benji Eisen, Scott Marks, Linda Stegen, and Kim Sia, who came today to talk fish and philosophy from the Mockingbird Foundation. That was amazing. Let's give them all a big round of applause. We're brought to you here today... And this whole weekend by Cannabis Depot, Colorado's favorite dispensary, offers flour from the top growers in the state. Customers love their mid-shelf bud ounces for $49. Out the door. Out the door. You can shop at their stores in Pueblo, West Pueblo, and check out their new store opening in Boulder. Uh, We were joined yesterday by Yeti Farms. Check them out right next to us, as well as we were joined today by Caviar, who talked us through... um, their grow, uh, their grow experience as well as their new line of munchies. We will be joined tomorrow from our friends at Harmony Extracts as well as Evo Lab to talk through what they've brought to Dick's here in 2022. Till then, see you all tomorrow. Enjoy night three. Thank Have a great night. Again. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, 
We're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.